Daniel, have you ever seen a wolf? No. And you live in Cork. Are wolves in Ireland? Mm, um, no. Do you know what a wolf might look like, though? Might look like a dog, a big dog, with uh, sharp teeth. And would you be afraid of a wolf if you saw a wolf? Mm, yeah. Well, who would you be afraid of a wolf? Because they're big, they're, they're the size of a, a big dog, and um, they, could, they could attack you at any moment. They could attack you. Do you think a wolf might kill you? Um, no, not on its own. Not on its own. So you, they, they travel around in groups, do they? Yeah, packs. A pack of wolves. Mm-hmm. And have you ever heard a wolf's call? No. It's a big howl. Do you think you'd be afraid of that if you heard a call yeah. at night? Yeah. Daniel Murphy is just 10 years old. He has never encountered a wolf in his life, but despite this fact, he still has an instinctive fear of wolves. Of course, it's a fear we have all shared since childhood, and why wouldn't we? Who could forget the story of Little Red Riding Hood? She went over to the bed and said, Good morning, Grandmother. There was no reply. She drew back the curtains and saw her grandmother lying there with her lace nightcap pulled right down to her eyes, hiding nearly all of her face. Oh, grandmother, what big ears you have, she said. All the better to hear you with my child, replied the voice beneath the nightcap. Oh, grandmother, what big eyes you have. All the better to see you with my child. Oh, Grandmother, what a big mouth and what big teeth you have. All the better to eat you with, cried the wolf, and he leapt out of bed and... But it's not just the children of Mrs Wall's class in Ballinspittle National School that hear such stories about wolves. They are often the manifestations of a darker side in adult horror stories too. Case in point, this extract from Bram Stoker's Dracula. We were both silent for a while. And as I looked towards the window, I saw the first dim streak of the coming dawn. There seemed a strange stillness over everything. But as I listened, I heard, as if from down below in the valley, the howling of many wolves. The Count's eyes gleamed, and he said, Listen to them, the children of the night. What a music they make! <laughs> Seeing, I suppose, some expression in my face strange to him, he added, Ah, sir, you dwellers in the city cannot enter into the feelings of the hunter. Besides the stories, the wolf has also worked its way into our everyday conversations. We should never cry wolf or wolf down our food and we have all met people in our lives who have turned out to be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Many women have also suffered the indignity of a wolf whistle, and, despite the booming economy of the Celtic tiger, most of us will spend our lives trying to keep the wolf from the door. Of course, there are no wolves in Ireland now, but did they ever exist here? The wolf bones that we have, for the most part, have come from cave excavations carried out in the early 20th century, Uh, which have provided most of the evidence to underline the story of animals and the succession of different species in Ireland over the years. Also, there's a few um, bones from bogs and in sediments underneath the peat in various layers. 
in most of those carnivores like wolves are actually quite rare but there have been a few caves in which we've not only found the deer bones in it, which are often in abundance but also carnivore bones like wolf bones. Dr Nigel Monaghan is curator of the Natural History Museum in Dublin. And here in fact I can show you oh, wow. if we open one of the, the drawers here Okay, oh, okay. Um, take out that tray yeah. and this is a, a tray of bones um, a number of which are from these ancient cave excavations of a hundred years ago and each has got a little number on the side and yes. from this I can tell you this NH60 is from plot number 60 in Newhall Cave which is in County Clare um, near Ennis and this was excavated around about 1910 and bones from this cave have actually been used in a radiocarbon dating program which is where we get the facts and figures from and this is the skull of quite a young um, pup, a, a juvenile wolf. Uh, you can see the bones at the top of the skull are not actually solidly yes. fused together. Yes. Um, so you know that you've got a breeding population. There are young that aren't making it to full adulthood, just as there would be in any litter of uh, wild animals today. Uh, most animals struggle a lot in the wild, um, but it's the, the deaths of these animals that give us the evidence that we use. Um, may, may I hold it? Do you sure. mind? I mean, it's... For me, it's an incredible thing to hold um, the skull of a, a young wolf pup that walked the earth 2,000 years ago, walked Ireland. I mean, what a different world Ireland was 2,000 years ago. And, and what is the earliest uh, dates for, uh, for wolves that you have? The earliest date we have for a wolf, because we haven't dated every single bone we've got, yes. is around about 23,000 years ago. 23,000 years ago. Now... Let me get this right. That predates human settlement in Ireland. Is that right? Yes. I mean, the main human settlement and the main um, arrival of peoples in Ireland is a story that's only about 10,000 years old. So we're more, we're more than twice as far back. And we're into a period of time with a rather different landscape that, as far as we know, there were no people in Ireland. It's not impossible. There were people in other parts of Europe. But we don't know of any Irish people in Ireland at the time. And what was Ireland like? I mean, you know... It isn't like we, we accept it now and we know it now, was it? It's a totally different landscape, was it? Well, when you look out your window and you're driving through the, the country lanes, you see a landscape largely created by people with subdivided fields, roads and tracks, and you see Ireland from the air. There's very little real wilderness, so it was an original, very wild place um, with much more forest cover, a um, lot of open plains areas mm. when you're going back that far, certainly to the 20,000-plus time period. You're talking about a steppe type uh, like you would have had in more famously in Russia in, in the sort of the vegetation and cover and a very exposed open landscape. But it was maintaining good populations of animals like woolly mammoths, giant deer and even some more less expected animals um, that were found in only one cave in this case. Spotted hyenas. Spotted hyenas were uh, in Ireland at the time. Now, the, yes, these are the hyenas that you'll occasionally see on wildlife programs, arguing with lions over kills in yes. in countries like Tanzania today. But those animals were in Ireland at the same time as wolves and brown bears. So you had a number of carnivores, each fitting into its particular place. So the wolves were, in some ways, competing with some of these carnivores. It, it may not have been the top carnivore, or no. was it? We don't have enough evidence to know exactly how many wolves were in Ireland at that sort of time and whether they were there at exactly the same time as the 
hyenas, for example, because we simply don't have enough remains and enough dates with enough accuracy to put them all into a field at the same yes, time. Of course. But the chances are they did substantially overlap. What animals would wolves have hunted in Ireland uh, back then, 23,000 years ago? Well, wolves are very versatile animals, so they'll take very small things as well as large animals, and they also eat quite a, a variety of, of uh, plants and fruits. And that's one of the things that makes wolves very successful. They're very versatile. But the biggest thing that wolves would probably have been tackling in the Irish landscape thousands of years ago would have been the extinct giant deer, Megaloceros, which you don't find anywhere today. It's a totally extinct animal. But they were almost as big as a horse wow. with antlers about three and a half metres wide. So they would have been a formidable um, prey. That's, that's the male, a full-grown male. But yes. like all herd animals, there are young. Of course. There are females looking after young, and there will be occasionally sickly and elderly animals. And that's where the wolves tend to work. So they're, they're dealing with animals that are comparable in size to the North American moose. Yes. So we can look for comparisons today and see what, what wolves can do and then hypothetically put them in that position thousands of years ago. So wolves did exist in Ireland thousands of years ago. But how and when did they die out? And what place does the wolf have in Irish mythology? Well, the last confirmed kill that I'm fully satisfied with is 1786, but it is possible that there are a number of other sightings and kills that are still being investigated, possibly as late as 1810. Now, that would be a real shock for... Certainly. Well, that's very, that's very, very recent. It is. It? It's only barely 200 years ago. Dr Kieran Hickey is an expert on the recent history of wolves in Ireland. Well, to give you an idea how Commodore... There are wolf place names in 26 of the 32 counties, for starters. Okay. There is recorded historical wolf instance for every single county in Ireland. In some counties, it numbers to some dozens of recorded instances. So wolves were widespread. The other line of evidence, of course, is that there was an export trade for wolf skins from Ireland during medieval times. Really? There was. And most of this went to the port of Bristol. Bristol is, is Ireland, was Ireland's major medieval export port. So, And their daily records of the port activities in the 1400s and the 1500s and so on survive detailed logs of what was brought in from Ireland. And within those logs, you have the arrival of large numbers of wolf skins from Ireland. The average per year in the 1500s was between 100 and 300 wolf skins being exported, but in one year it was over 900 wolf skins. 900 in one year? In one year, to one port. Good God. So 900, at least 900 wolves were, were killed, so that gives you an idea of the number of wolves yeah. that were, were uh, yeah. throughout the whole country. There's also evidence for bounties, because when the Cromwellian government arrived in Ireland, they were horrified to discover there was loads of wolves all over Ireland, because they weren't used to them in England yes. and Wales, and they saw them as being part of the enemy, you know, something to be controlled and dominated. So they set up a bounty system, and the bounty system was £6 for a female wolf. Now, £6 in the mid-1600s is a phenomenal that amount of money. serious money. It would be roughly the equivalent of the, the annual wages of a, an ordinary labourer for probably two or three years. My God, for just one wolf skin? For just one wolf head. Wolf head. So £6 for a female, £5 for a male, £3 for a hunting juvenile, and 10 shillings for a cub. You mentioned that, uh, that when the Cromwellian uh, people arrived into, into Ireland, they were horrified to find wolves still here. Um, what's the history of wolves in Britain and Scotland? When, when were the last sightings of them? Well, in England and Wales, they definitely you're, you're looking at prior to 1500, the last, wolves, the last wild wolves were killed. In Scotland, they certainly survived into the early 1700s. So our wolves probably from, the, say, the British Isles uh, geographical location, our wolves survived longer. So our wolves 
probably from the, say the British Isles uh, geographical location, our wolves survived longest. Oh, they did, they survived longest. But bear in mind, we had a smaller population. We had a lot of wilder areas as well. Okay. A, a bit like Scotland as well, but in Scotland they were much more targeted from an earlier stage. What, what brought about the decline in, in the wolf uh, population in Ireland? Well, there's a number of factors. The bounty, certainly. That amount of money for any animal is going to cause a lot of interest. And there was professional wolf hunters arrived into Ireland from Britain and from elsewhere. And these, these were in, in interesting characters. Not enough information on them, but there's interesting characters, obviously. So they were hunting wolves for the bounties. Um, deforestation was a huge factor as well. We suddenly went from a situation in 1600 where Ireland was probably covered by 12 or 14 percent of, of native forest to by 1700 this was down to around 2 or 3 percent. Okay. So the areas where the wolves could breed unmolested and have a, a reserve area where they could retreat back into disappeared very fast and our population grew as well. Slowly but surely our population grew and that put increasing pressure on the wilder areas and wilder parts of the countryside. So, so we're talking about habitat loss? We're talking about an increase in population, but from what, what you're saying, there was a, a deliberate policy oh, as it were, a, to exterminate the wolf from Absolute Ireland. deliberate policy to exterminate the wolf as quickly as possible. And they did everything they could, so they employed large numbers of hunters, there was extensive bounties, uh, equipment was provided for wolf hunters wow. around the country. And, I mean, I mean, it was obviously to do with the fact that the wolves were, were taking livestock, that the wolves were taking deer from valuable estates... Uh, and this policy just led to, to, to their extinction. And from an, an Irish point of view, it's really very recent, maybe well, only 200 years ago. Maybe only 200 years ago. There's no doubt that still at 70, by 1700 we had a declining wolf population. But if it had been preserved at that time, we would, had a vi- we would still have a viable population today. By, you get, by the time you get to 1750, when the numbers are really isolated in little pockets, maybe that would have been too late. But certainly by, at 1700, we still had a chance to preserve a, a native wolf population that's now gone. There's a mad question. We have urban foxes now uh, in Ireland where foxes are, are taking advantage of you know, litter and rubbish uh, in our cities. Was there such a thing, I know our cities were much smaller, was there such a thing as the urban wolf? Oh, there definitely was. I mean, there's a great letter by an alderman from Cork City describing the problems with wolves and foxes on the outskirts of the city at the time. There was even hunting of wolves going on in County Mead and on the fringes of Dublin, even as close in as Kilmainham. As close as Kilmainham? <laughs> as close in as Kilmainham. God. So there was a wolf hunting pack maintained at Kilmainham back in the mid 1600s. That'll tell you how common they were and how much they were. People were afraid of them because they were very worried that they, if you were travelling long distance in Ireland and you were travelling through desolate and wild areas and undrained areas and forest areas, that these wolves could appear from nowhere. And a pack of wolves is a formidable foe. Well, this is our wolf enclosure. So you have four... There's four. four. The three, the three uh, males are all black and the yeah. female is sable. Wolves became extinct in Ireland a little over 200 years ago. Now, the only pack in Ireland can be found at Dublin Zoo. I visited this pack and with Jerry Creighton, head keeper of Dublin Zoo, entered the wolf enclosure. These are in the zoo. They're in the zoo now over 10 years. And were they bred in captivity? They were. They, were, they, were, they came from Port Lymph and Howlets in the UK. And yes. they were... Um, they were Splitting up them, there was packs in both, both uh, safari parks, and we got a couple of members from each group. 
you've been looking after these for 10 years. Do you have a personal relationship? Because, I mean, of course, are, are these grey wolves? These are grey wolves, yeah. These are grey wolves. And um, they, yeah, 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 you'd have a good relationship. Like when I'm here, my own would often come right over. Yeah, because these are the ancestors to, that's right, yeah. to the domestic dog. That's correct, which that's is correct. Man's best friend. Yeah. And you can see the characteristics and the behaviour, too. You can see the traits. And I mean, now they come running up to the fence, and when yeah. I'm walking along, and, you know, sh- sh- shaking the tail and, yeah. you know, throwing my body in the air like a, a dog when they're greeting you. Have you ever been threatened by them? Never, never had an encounter a problem or all. But I think it's the outlay of the enclosure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we, we don't have corners or where there's yeah. plenty of elevation where you know it's an elevated. You see, we're, yes. we're on the high point and it's excuse me, it slopes down, so yeah. they can get away and they can more or less come around you. So they don't feel threatened, and that's yeah. they're, they're comfortable in their environment, which is an important thing. And feature. now, I mean, obviously. People coming to, to Dublin Zoo is the only place Irish people can see wolves That's, in Ireland. Th- yeah. What's the reaction? It's fantastic, particularly around the feeding time. They love to see because you know they get quite vocal and they yeah. get excited and you know there's a bit of snarling and a bit yeah. of pulling at the meat and you know yeah. it, it is quite an exciting time to come and the reaction is um, you know amazing. I mean people realise that God, these once they lived in Ireland they say yeah. you know, the size of them and but uh, they, unfortunately there is still a terrible myth attached to wolves which is you know is, is totally inaccurate. Yeah. Aggressive and and killers and you know yeah. and you know. What I mean? probably through folklore and mythology always depicted them as quite a, a vicious and aggressive animal yeah. and that is I find with people that is the perception but when they take time to talk to the keepers like we have regular talks here where we explain to the people about their attitude and they would be quite you know, surprised and impressed yeah. to find out the real the real characteristics yeah. and it is quite similar to a I domestic mean, dog I'm finding myself here in this enclosure and yeah. it's, you know it's big but yeah. you know I'm, I'm here with four wolves and when you see wolves up close. Yeah, they're My powerful. God, yeah. They are big animals. Well, as I say, we weigh them. We, we knock them out once a year to give them full health checks where we yeah. check their teeth, check their nails, and we give them away. Yeah. Weigh, and the average weight of them is 110 to 115 pounds. That is now, heavy. Extreme. I mean, and you think your average German yeah. Shepherd, a good sized German Shepherd, yeah. would be 75, 80 pounds. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you could put another 40 pounds on That's top of that two again. Stone in yeah, all, exactly. In all weights, yeah. E- extremely and, and pure, very, very strong. And the, yeah. I mean, the jaw power is phenomenal. You'd see them here when they're ripping and crunching. Bone yeah, yeah. They're an extremely yeah. powerful animal. The Irish name for the wolf is Mokhtira, but with wolves no longer existing in Ireland, or for that matter in Scotland, England and Wales, I wondered how wolves were faring in other parts of Europe. We'd like to welcome aboard this flight 692 to Dusseldorf. In late August, I travelled to Germany to meet Rolf Jaeger of the Society for the Protection and Conservation of Wolves to find out. Today, in Europe and also in the States, it's a very rare animal because of hunting and coaching and and trapping and and all these things. Are they protected by law in Europe? Today they are protected in Europe totally with the highest protection grade you have. It's completely forbidden to shoot them, to hunt them, to disturb them. It's completely forbidden. And that is within the European Union, or is it European right Union? Across? Yeah. European Union. And is this is this a problem with some of the uh, non-EU countries? Uh... Uh, a problem, yes. For instance, Russia. For instance, Turkey. There, they are hunted and uh, shot as often as they met them. And in Russia, there are areas they get money for it, but often they are promise to get money, then they shoot them and they don't get it. And therefore, the people who like to get money out of this uh, decrease. Yes, of course. But it's, it's normal. It's still, it's still a problem in it's some of It's still a problem countries. of uh, some countries in not 
EU uh, countries. Now, the, the wolves that are living here in Germany, the wild wolves, yeah. um, what habitats are they found in? Are, are they in, in, in woodland? And is habitat loss a big factor in the, the uh, problems that they face? Yes and no. It's very difficult to differentiate. There is not a habitat which is a real wolf habitat, and this is a habitat it's not a wolf habitat. It's very difficult to say because it's one of the mo most adaptive animal you can ever imagine. And if it finds an environment where it can hide, where it can build up its den for his puppies without disturbance, and where he can find something to eat, which means prey, then that's a habitat where the wolf can live. But this adaptability can also cause problems, not least when wild wolves mate with domesticated dogs. This was here in Germany. Yes. We had a female wolf, two years old, separated from the, from the, the pack, yes. and looking for another partner. But there was no partner. But there was a dog. Okay, of course. Course. And a dog is, is now different. This is nothing strange. Genetically, it's so similar. So we the, had... The domestic dog is, so, is so, a, a direct descendant of it. the wolf. That's it. And therefore, we had so-called uh, crossbreeds or hybrids. Oh, no. Yeah. And that's, had a, this, that's yeah. a big issue. That would be a yeah, big this issue. This was one of, one of our biggest issues in the past we had here yes. in Germany. Yeah. And, of course, we don't like to have them in the free... Yes. So we tried to catch them. Yes. Some of them as well, nine, nine pups. Yes, wow. Three of them disappeared. 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 Maybe they, they died and, yes. and birds or something, yes, of course, or, yes, yes, or yes. rats or something will, will yeah. eat them. And then the six were seen, then the last time four were seen. Two of them disappeared. Wow. And these four are tried to be caught. Yes by us and others, yes. other yes. organized. Yes. It was still very difficult to get them. And after very hard tries, we get two of them Yes. and the mother. And the two others disappeared and we don't know where they are. Most of what we know about wolves in the wild is due to the work of the author and wolf expert Gunter Block. For the last 12 years, Gunter has spent six months of each year studying wolves in their natural habitat. Well, it's different if you look at Scandinavia, for example. They're mostly living in the forest. Yes. But you also have um, wolves living in agricultural land in Spain, for example. So they can live everywhere. So they're very adaptable. Extremely adaptable. And it's always depending on humans. Do they or do they not accept the wolves in their environment? Of but um, in Europe, basically, we're talking about cultivated land. Okay. So that means there is no wilderness yes. left. So therefore, they have to be adaptable. But in, in North America um, and Canada, are they found in the same sort of, are they in woodland or in the open area? Well, I mean, in Canada, you have all different uh, types of subspecies. You have the Arctic wolf, which is living far away in the north. Then you have the tundra wolf, which is uh, feeding uh, and hunting on caribou. Yes. A totally different environment than the timber wolf, which is uh, the yeah the woodland wolf, yes. if, you, yes. if, if you want to say so. And he is living in a totally different environment than in the Rocky Mountains, where I work in, uh, in um, Canadian Rockies. Um, also different habitat. 
Yes. So again, it's depending on the subspecies of the wolf. So the, it is all the same species, Canis lupus, but different subspecies within different areas right across the, the northern hemisphere. Yes, okay. lots of them are extinct. Yes, so we had a bison wolf um, in the in, his, in the historical times, but it's extinct, and then other uh, subspecies are also extinct. How big a territory would a, a wolf pack require? Well, it's depending on the food, yes. basically. That means if there's a lot of food, the territories are relatively small. Let's say an average would be between 300 and 400 square kilometers. That's, that's very big. Yeah, yeah that's relatively big, but our wolves in the Rocky Mountains, for example, have territories of 1,200 square kilometers. 1,200? Yes. Wow, so that's an enormous area. Yeah. And they, they move right across these areas all the time. Yeah. Depending on the food, again, I mean, the prey species is key. Yes. Let's say they would feed on elk. Yes. So the migration of elk is different from summer to winter grazing okay. uh, grounds. Yes. So the wolf will follow as a predator. Yes. So th th there's a whole range of prey species uh, right across the ranges. I mean, in Europe, what would be the main prey species? Deer. Deer. Yeah, and wild boar. Yes. In Ireland, likewise, we, we had big numbers of red deer and the wolves. That was the main prey species. So it's the same in Europe. But, for example, in uh, North America, um, there are large animals like uh, moose and yeah. uh, bison. Would, would a wolf take down an animal that big? Oh, yeah, they do. I mean, in Wood Buffalo National Park in Canada, for example, they primarily feed on, uh, on bison. Yes. But it's a hard effort, as you can imagine, yes. and a big challenge yes. uh, to bring them down. But they're able to, oh, yeah. Now, I've never seen uh, wolves hunting, and I'm always curious, how do, they, how do they hunt? Is it like stalking and ambushing like a lion, or do they run a prey yeah. down, or how do, they, how do they actually hunt? Well, it's different from, from uh, pack to pack. Those, those wolf families have different traditions and cultures in hunting, and it's yes. also depending on the prey species, of course. Yes. There is ambush, yes, but there's a lot of cooperation, and each wolf has a special um, kind of, um, how you can say that, a special work to do. Yes. Some are uh, the, the, the most fast animals, so they run, and others are ambush, ambushing in, yes. in different uh, angles and wait for the other ones to, who, uh, that prey species are coming. So I, I know personally minimum five or six different um, hunting strategies, and one of them is very interesting in Banff. Uh, so they um, chase deer or elk yes. in lakes and wait for them to freeze, and Re then they attack. Really? Yeah. So they, 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 they chase the deer into these freezing lakes, and they, yeah. the deer becomes lethargic. And Exactly, yes. exactly. And it's very interesting, though, that wolves are just uh, very patient. Yes. So they yes. can wait up to 48 hours. Really? Not attacking yes. at all, but just pinning the, the prey species into the lake and just wait. Wow, That's, that is unbelievable. Yeah. What is the structure of a pack? I mean, um, you know, yeah. everybody talks about that they have a, a sort of a social structure and there's a dominance, the pecking order, as yeah. they say. Yeah. Well, how is a wolf pack? How is it made? What, what, what is in a wolf pack? Well, I mean, there's a big discussion about all those terms, and I would uh, rather call them families, families instead yes. packs, and that gives you the first idea of what I would try to um, tell you. First of all, there's a mother wolf and a father wolf, and they get kids. Yes. Let's make it very simple. <laughs> so that means 
the hierarchy, so this strict hierarchy, which is described in a lot of papers in, um, um, based on observations in, in, in a closure, yes. are totally different than what we see in the wild. Oh, really? Yes, absolutely. Because, first of all, young wolves can't um, leave a family in, in enclosures, but in the wild they can, and our uh, data suggests that most, nearly 80% of the young wolves uh, by the age of two to three years are leaving their, 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 their parents and create new families. Okay. So that means the high uh, strict hierarchy, uh, the so-called alpha wolf and all those kind of uh, things, uh, I, I would doubt it. How many pups uh, are, are born to an average um, litter. litter, yes. Well, that's also depending on the age of the animals. Yes. Normal average litter would be between three and six. Yes. Normal yes. average. The older the females become, the less pups they get. Yes. So our observations show uh, that uh, females of the age of nine, ten, eleven years, they only get two, sometimes only one pup. Okay. And is the mortality rate very high? Do many of the wolves, yeah. you know, die in their first year? Average 50%, oh, really? sometimes 90%. Yes. But you also have litters who so, where 100% survive. It's depending on the food. It's depending on the hazards around yes. them. Yes. Um, but the average would be around three to six pups. There was a time when wolves were one of the most widely distributed land mammals in the Northern Hemisphere. But nowadays, you would have a better chance of winning the lotto than seeing a wolf in the wild. Unless, of course, you travel to Yellowstone National Park in the Midwestern United States. And that's exactly what I did. The last wolves were killed in Yellowstone in 1926 by the National Park Service. They deemed wolves, mountain lions, coyotes as bad animals. Elk, deer, moose, bighorn sheep were good animals. And there was, the United States government spent millions and millions of dollars eradicating wolves. Yes. Wolves were pretty much gone by 1930 in the lower portion of the United States. The only wolves that were pretty much remaining in North America were a handful of Mexican gray wolves yes. in Mexico and gray wolves in Canada and up in Alaska. As the first snows of winter fell, I met with Carl Swoboda, an expert guide with Safari Yellowstone and a wolf enthusiast who has encountered wolves on more than 800 occasions. The pack that we're looking at, it's eight members of the 15-member Slough Creek Pack. And the Slough Creek Pack was an offshoot of the Druid Peak Pack, who back in 2001 had uh, 37 members. 37 members. Yeah. That's uh, that's a, would that be a, an extraordinarily large uh, amount of uh, animals in in one group? It was the uh, the largest recorded wolf pack ever. I'm I'm curious because speaking with people like Gunter Block in Europe, he said that oftentimes packs can be quite small, and that depending on the availability of food, that young animals go off and form their own families. Why would you have such a, a large number concentrated in one area? Uh, there's a number of factors. It all a lot of it stems from the reintroduction of the wolf. There wasn't established wolf packs throughout the area at the time. There was abundant food. And there was the year 2000, which was 
uh, a very interesting year in the sense that uh, at least three, if not four, of the females of the Druid Peak Pack had pups. And that spring, there were 21 pups born. And the, the history of it goes to the alpha female wolf number 40, who ruled the pack with the iron fish. They called her the Iron Maiden. Yeah. Uh, you never knew exactly what she was going to do, whether or not she was going to go up and beat up her sister yeah. or go kill a coyote or go kill an elk. Um, she ruled the pack with a very tight fist. So was she the only one that bred and produced pups? Because, again, from a lot of the things you hear, there's just the alpha male and alpha female that uh, that breed, and the others, the other females don't... Uh, don't rear pups, they don't have pups. What they're finding here in Yellowstone that multiple litters from multiple mothers is not out of the ordinary. Uh, the pack that we have just been looking at, the Slough Creek pack, three of those animals that are out there are pups. Um, this year the Slough Creek pack had four mothers, four different fathers, all four females denned in the same hole, first time ever recorded. Really? In, in the past, the, the most we've ever seen is two females in one den. This pack had four females, four fathers, communally raised 16 pups, and then unfortunately the disease canine parvo um, has killed off all but three. There, there are three pups out there, I suppose just to try and get the picture here, as I say, it's snowing heavily at the moment. We're in three inches of snow. And we've just watched an amazing thing. There's, there's been two individuals um, walked across the, the snow plains here. There was a group with the three young animals bedded in in the snow, and they've been howling. Have they been trying to contact the other members of the pack, and is that the reason why these other ones have walked in? Well, earlier this morning, that first wolf that we saw was the last one that came in, and he is the number three male. Yes, and as we saw, he came in, uh, he had picked up the howling, he knew where his family was, and the wolves that he greeted was the alpha female, uh, and three pups, and three yearlings. Wolves are very social animals. They're probably the most social of all large mammals that we have here in North America. Families stay together. They're very family-oriented. The males are just as important as the females in, in rearing the pups. It is all about the pups. Yes. That's the bottom line. You're only as strong as your recruits that yeah. are coming up. Yeah. And those are the pups. But what is the fascination with wolves? Each day in the Lamar Valley, I met with Laurie Lyman from San Diego. I asked her, what is it about the wolf that has her coming out in freezing conditions day after day? I've loved them for about 15 years, and I feel blessed that they're here in Yellowstone. I am able to watch them, and every day's a gift. But do you ever reach a point where you say, well, I think I've seen it all now with these wolves? No, because I, I do see something different. And if nothing else, you can see the consistencies in behavior and how one action or reaction will cause a change in any other wolf's behavior and how the structure of the wolf pack changes yes it, and it changes often and so you you feel like you become in tune with that and so you you watch it to see the drama unfold and it is uh, to the point where i actually bought a house here 
Really? Yes. And I spend uh, just in uh, Silvergate, and so I'm able to spend at least half of the year here or more. My God. And so as soon as I get to San Diego, I start thinking about coming to Yellowstone. And there's a lot of us here that share what we, we call a passion. And I always say, once you've, if you've looked into the eyes of the wolf and you've heard the howl, yes. that it will change you that it brings you back to them yes. and it is something you'll never forget ever. I was in, uh, in Canada in, in Ontario and I'd always wanted to record the wolves to add them to my, to my portfolio of nature sounds and I would drive sometimes 100 miles sometimes more to record where I thought a pack of wolves would be. I get information from the local um, park wardens as to where they would be and I go up and it was always at night I was always in pitch black, always on my own, in the middle of nowhere. And what I would do, I would howl. I attempt to howl like a wolf. And there were so many times I would go there and come back with nothing because they wouldn't respond. They were elusive. I called them my elusive friends. Originally from Marino in Dublin, Ernest Lyons emigrated to Canada over 25 years ago where he worked as a professional sound recordist. Part of his assignment was to record what he describes as nature sounds, and top of his list was wolves. Okay, the first thing you do is you have to call them in. So you have to pretend you're a wolf and howl like a wolf. First sound you're going to hear now is me calling the wolves in. And the second sound you're going to hear a very tentative howl from a lone wolf. And then after that, the, uh, the pack of wolves will start opening up. And at the end, you're going to hear all the young ones all shouting and roaring away in the background there. Although Ernest's calls sounded a little bit strangled towards the end, it had the desired effect. I consider it a, an honour that, that they would respond to what I was doing. I mean, that they obviously thought there was another wolf in the area and they were letting me know that they were there. And that's what wolves do. They, they say, well, here we're over here, you're over there, you know. And they and used to, to find one another as well. Because I, I never heard a wolf other than, than, than in, uh, in films. But it was a real thrill. It was just... I, so I, I can hardly wait to do it again. I know how Ernest feels, because I too had a similar experience. In the middle of my interview with Carl Swoboda, the Yellowstone wolves began to howl. And the wolves are howling right wolves now. Wolves are howling right now. I'm just going to try and see if I can catch that. Carl, that was almost as if they approved of what we were saying. I think so. That was one of those magic moments. It was a long way away, but that was, uh, that was one of those magic moments. Yeah, wolves howl is true wildness. I consider it a privilege to have been able to observe and hear wolves living wild and free despite the persecution of man and the ever-increasing pressures of habitat loss. Wolves have been feared and hated, considered mythical and mystical, 
and sometimes even viewed as evil. Wolf attacks on, on fully fit humans are very, very rare. Yeah. But during times of famine, there's certainly references to wolves taking uh, vagrant children. And during times of battle, Battle of Kinsale, soldiers were being picked off, injured soldiers who, of course, were bleeding and were bloody and unable to defend, were being picked off by wolves as well. For others, wolves are loved and respected and have become iconic symbols of wilderness and restorers of the balance of nature. Yellowstone without wolves is Africa without lions. You take a top predator out of it and the whole balance changes. Some Native American tribes refer to the wolf as brother wolf, seeing them as fellow beings that wandered and hunted the great herds of elk and bison on the wide plains and in the woodlands of North America. They also saw the plight of the wolf paralleled in their own destinies. Perhaps the Native Americans understood wolves and their place in nature better than anyone. The wolf is a survivor, and to look into the eyes of a wolf is indeed to see the true spirit of the wild. <laughs>